0: Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, there is still someone here. I thought no one was going to answer. Woo. All right. Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to be uh, gathered together to, uh, to praise her Lord and Savior, uh, to learn more about Him through His Word. So good to see you all here this morning. So several years ago, uh, NBC News posted an article about a Silicon uh, Valley-based recycling company that was looking for a woman between 60 and 70 years old uh, who she had dropped off some boxes from her house. I guess her husband had recently passed away and so she was cleaning out the garage. Well, they were looking for her to give her $100,000. See, this woman, in, in cleaning out her garage, had found what she thought was just a dusty old junky computer and brought it to this recycling depot. And as the manager of that recycling depot and sorted through her stuff, she realized, this is no junker. This is one of only 200 Apple One computers built by Steve Jobs himself. It is a piece of technology history. And so they sold it in auction for $200,000. And so they were looking for her to give her half of the proceeds. Who here would like $100,000 this morning? Yeah, who here would just like $200,000, right? (laughs) So I apologize, Uh, silver or gold or, you know, cold hard cash, I have not for you this morning. Uh, But I have something far better, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But I share this story because I think you and I can often be that woman. Uh, We can lose sight of things in the Word of God. Particularly this morning, I want to take a look at salvation and miss the true value of that gift. And so today we're going to spend some time in the book of Titus And I want us to grow in our appreciation for the Trinitarian work that went in to offering us this greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation. So I want to invite you to stand as we read our text this morning, Titus 3, verses 4 to 7, short text, uh, but beautiful, beautiful little passage. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us You may have your seats. So, this morning to, uh, to tackle our text, I'm going to do so in, in four points. First of all, the, the Father loves us, the Son justifies us, the Holy Spirit renews us, and last of all, our massive contribution, as we'll see in a second. I'm going to pray for us as we dig into God's Word. Father, thank you so much for uh, your loving kindness, your goodness towards us. Thank you for the gift of salvation that you offer us. And uh, God, as we as we spend a few minutes in Titus 3, I pray that you, by your spirit, uh, would arouse a, a deeper understanding and a deeper gratefulness uh, for all that you have done for us. We praise you and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first Trinitarian truth from Titus 3 is that the Father loves us. I'm going to read again that that first verse, Titus 3, verse 4, and just into verse 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So last weekend, Eldon shared with us the impact that the Trinity has on God's love for us. He reminded us looking at John 17 verse 24 that, you know, from eternity past, the Trinity dwelt in this this perfect loving relationship. God did not need to create us. Rather, he created us out of the overflow, the abundance of his love. And that is why God is able to offer us this unconditional love, this, this perfect love that that we journey in in the limitations of that as we try to express it and are are loved by others in a limited fashion. So this sermon is is based loosely on a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. We're taking a look at four different aspects of the Trinity, uh, pre-creation, creation, creation, salvation, and next week will be the Christian life. But let's imagine for a second that there was no Trinity. God was, was one no Son, no Holy Spirit. Michael Reeves in his book, and in my words, says that if that were the case, then there would be a utilitarian sense to our relationship with God because of the power indifference. God being an omnipotent, omniscient, um, what's the other one, omnipresent God, would automatically be in a higher position of power to us, finite, mortal, human beings and therefore we would be made to serve him he would rule over us and the ultimate goal of this relationship would be obedience but that is not what scripture tells us repeatedly rather we are taught that the ultimate goal of this relationship is that of love So take a look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 38. He's asked, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment what's the most important thing? It's love, right? So just as a more insightful and accurate view of our relationship with God being based on love rather than outward acts of obedience, so also a more accurate and insightful view of what went wrong is not so much that that we disobeyed God, that we went against His rules, Yes, that is true. But the more important thing is that actually, we turned our love from God to other things. Listen to the way in which Paul phrases a list of simple practices to his mentee Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2-4. For people, he says, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, goes on to list a whole bunch of other sins. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. There's, there's this whole gamut of sins. But then he ends with this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Our primary primary po- problem when it comes to the core of it the very root is not so much that that we've disobeyed a list of rules as that we've turned our love from god to lesser things and yet despite turning our love from god we have titus 3 verse 4 but when the goodness And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. The Father saves us because of his great love for us. So question for you this morning. How are you loving God? How often when asked that question, we answer something like this. Well... I I read three chapters in the Bible this morning, and I spent seven and a half minutes in prayer. And, you know, well, I delivered two dozen cookies to my unsaved neighbor on Wednesday. And, you know, I've listened to you, Jeremy, for three minutes longer than I wanted to. So (laughs) here's what I'm doing. But notice it's a checklist, Right? That that sort of way of thinking is here's the list of things that I have done for God. Maybe we need to change the way that we think and think of it and phrase the question this way How do I remember God throughout my day? How do I praise Him as I just go about my daily business? You know, how are my motivations for the things that I do because I want to please Him? How can we shift our mindset from focusing in on acts of obedience, which yes, are not a bad thing, but take our focus off of that to Jesus (laughs) I just love you, and that our life overflows from that. It's a good challenge. As we continue to to dive deeper into this theme of the love of God, let's take a look at the role of the Son in salvation. The Son justifies us. So chances are the fact that, that God loves you, me saying this, it's nothing new for you this morning. You've heard that repeatedly over and over and over again. But I think one of the ways in which we can go wrong in our understanding of God's love is to think, well, yeah, God loves me because just look at me. I'm great, right? Created in the image of God. Beautiful. I've got things all under control. You know, I'm successful. I can, you know, I've got a, a home and a car and a vehicle and a family and and look at all this. I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm, I'm here in church this morning. I deserve the love of God. Wrong. Let's, uh, let's back up one verse before our text this morning and take a look at the context. Titus 3.3 3 describes us without or before Christ. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another that's you that's me without Christ. We don't deserve God's salvation. We're wicked, envious, fools, evil, haters. Now let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you had the choice between living in a small group of people where there was just perfect love for one another. You knew each other fully. You dwelt without any sort of brokenness in this, this amazing small cluster of, of people. Or you could live in a larger group of people where people would mock you. These people would betray you. These people would wreck your stuff. And some of these people wouldn't even recognize your existence. Which one would you pick? Yeah, no no questions asked, right? I'll take the nice small cluster of of perfect love and avoid all that messy brokenness. And yet that's not what God does, right? As, As Eldon shared with us last week, God knowing all the brokenness that would come having dwelt in that perfect small group from eternity past, he still creates us despite the mess because he loves us that greatly. Listen to uh, another passage that talks about the love of God for us. This is 1 John 4, 8 to 10. Anyone who does not love Propitiation for our sins. Rich passage. Now, that word propitiation, it's, it's not a word that we use in everyday language, right? Um, for example, imagine my, my daughter Kennedy, four years old, for whatever reason, she's carrying around a, a hot cup of coffee on a Sunday morning and she spills that on your lap Kenny will not look up to you and say, I'm sorry, can I make propitiation for my mistake and give you a hug? Like, we, just, we don't use the word, right? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines propitiation as the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Another definition is appeasement. So you see, well, well God is an altogether loving God, God is also a just God. Scripture tells us there is a consequence to sin, and that is eternal spiritual death. God's wrath is against sin. And because he hates sin so much, there are extreme consequences to sin and to those who embrace it. Now, we might think, poof, well, that's rough, it's pretty extreme. But actually, it's 100% necessary and understandable. So imagining, and with me for a second, Kennedy, we call her Kenny. She's a sweetheart, okay? But she's not innocent. <laughs> so imagine, you know, last week, Kenny spilt that hot cup of coffee on your lap. Uh, Not good, but she didn't use the big word propitiation. She didn't apologize. It was an accident, but she figured out, you know, she she kind of enjoyed it. So this week she finds a hotter cup of coffee and again she meanders through and she finds her way to you. She spills it on your lap again. Second degree burns, This this is not good. Now me, her father, I see the whole thing happen And I come up, but rather than reprimanding her or, you know, explaining to her, you, you can't do that. That's wrong. You need to apologize. I give her a thumbs up and then move her away. Oh, that would probably be either the last Sunday that you are in this church or the last Sunday that I'm in church because you would go to the elders and off with my head. Right? There is... A necessity for justice. And yet, God the Father is so loving that He sends His one and only Son Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus submits to the Father's will. Right? If we put ourselves in His shoes, 30 years He spends here on earth. And then knowing what awaits Him in Jerusalem, He resolutely sets out there to be mocked bad upon, humiliated, beaten, and ultimately, as a completely innocent man, always having loved, crucified for our sins. Jesus justifies us. That's the word that scripture uses in the Titus passage. He makes us, as we place our faith in him and repent of our sins, just as if we'd never sinned. His righteousness, his perfect righteousness, is theological fancy, is imputed to us. We take on his righteousness so that God can look at us as holy and there be no barrier between us. So church, this morning, may we understand that we don't deserve salvation. We're sinners in need of God's grace. But through Jesus we can be reconciled to God. So let's move on to the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews us. So we've seen how the Father loves us greatly, right? He puts together this plan of salvation. Then he sends his son, Jesus, who makes a way through his life, death, and resurrection for us to be saved. Now let's take a quick look at Titus 3 again, in the role of the Spirit, verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done in us by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus just in, in meager doses sprinkled over us, right? No whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So a temptation that we might have at this point is to think, okay, God has made a way, or he loves us, he's put in place his plan for salvation, Jesus has has made a way, well, I'll just go and and walk that way, right? Right? I will go and get salvation for myself. But that is not in accordance with Scripture. Scripture teaches us that that we are haters, right? As we saw in Titus 3.3. Haters of others, haters of God. Actually, we want nothing to do with Him. If salvation's that way, we're going to head directly the opposite way. But the work of the Holy Spirit is that He comes and performs this washing work of regeneration and renewal. So this word regeneration, uh, like the Greek core means again and generate, uh, more Christianese lingo, to be reborn. Uh, We can take a look at John 3, 3 to 5, where Nicodemus, this well-known teacher, comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus explains this to him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, said twice for emphasis, right? I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, our default is our sinful nature. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. And see, you, you cannot bring a corpse to life by trying to give it a makeover. You can, just put you can put all the lipstick you want, it, but it's still dead, right? That's us spiritually without the Holy Spirit's work in our life. But the Spirit comes along and He gives us new life. I have a quote here from a couple of commentators uh, from the New American Commentary. They put it this way. Salvation can only be attained by effectively dealing with humanity's sinful nature. This Requires a new birth. So we have the idea of regeneration, but then we also have this idea of renewal, right? The idea of renewal is pretty similar, but the idea here is that the Spirit is turning us into something that is qualitatively and, and fundamentally new. It's different. Paul doesn't reference the Spirit specifically, but... Puts it so well in, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The Father lovingly initiates this plan of salvation. He sends his son in love, and then the son through his life, death, and resurrection, makes that way for us to be saved. But then it's the Spirit that draws us to God, that grants us new birth, that renews us. (laughs) Can you you see it? The Trinity working together? It's a beautiful thing. So just across the street from us, there's a set of train tracks, right? Right? If you were to go out there and go for a walk, you could follow it, following the low heat roughly, and end up all the way by Gastown in Vancouver. There's a whole bunch of terminals there. If you went the other way, you know, you could end up all the way on the east coast. Uh, These tracks are highly useful for transportation of goods, they're highly annoying. When you're running late for a meeting and you're the first car stopped at those tracks, right? <laughs> yeah. Just down the street, uh, there are six empty freight cars. I don't know why they're there, they've been sitting there for a while. But I want you to imagine that you are one of those freight cars this morning. Okay? You are heavy. You would weigh 260,000 pounds, 130 tons. Now imagine with me for a moment that God has planned salvation, and salvation is found for some reason at the easternmost part that these train tracks reach, all the way in Halifax. Now he sent Jesus. And he built this extensive railroad that reaches all the way to Halifax, Salvation. Now, the only thing that has to be done is for you, empty freight car, to travel some 7,000 kilometers all the way to the East Coast. Can you do it? You have no engine. You are just a freight car. Loaded. I mean, (laughs) we've been so shocked at how windy Agassiz is. Sometimes it feels like there's a wind tunnel coming through our townhouse complex just off McKay. Uh, Maybe you could build a sail, right, and and put that on top of your freight car. I don't know. Maybe if it was big enough, it would actually move it, and then you'd come around a corner or come up to a hill, and okay, maybe you traveled a kilometer out of 7,000. You just cannot do it the holy spirit is like that locomotive that powerful engine that moves us to god so how might we apply this truth uh particularly in regards to salvation right eldon will touch more on this next week as far as the christian life we need to be so dependent on the spirit um asking God to fill us continually so that we might walk in his ways, but how might we apply this in regards to salvation? I think one way is that we can pray with hope. All of us, you know, family, friends, neighbors, who do not know the Lord Jesus as their loving Savior, right? And we've maybe tried to witness in different ways, strategize in various forms, but they might be living still the most vilest of lifestyles, perhaps rejecting that there's a God at all or serving a different God. Ultimately, it's it's not us or any person that is going to draw them to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that can soften the hardest of hearts And so we can pray with hope because the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to Christ. So we've talked about each member of the Trinity. Uh, Lastly, I want to talk about our massive contribution to the work of salvation. So if you were to step back and take a look at the whole book of Titus, You'd see that one of Titus's emphasis is good works. You'll find that specific phrase six times in his book. Once in chapter one, twice in chapter two, three times in chapter three. You know, maybe through a misreading of his book, perhaps out of a motivation of spiritual pride, we could go very wrong and think that somehow our works earn us salvation. And yet is furthest from the truth. Let me read our passage one last time, emphasizing the personal pronouns, those that apply to us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Okay, so we're not doing any work. He is doing the work here. Maybe we'll find a different instance where we do something. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Okay, another clarification. Not by works. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. Okay, again, we're recipients. Poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay, again, it's, it's... Jesus, God doing the work, saving us, so that being justified by his grace, we might become, oh, okay. Maybe here's a role that we take. Here's an action that we must perform. You know, if, if you want to become a doctor, you've got to go through how many years of school, right? If you want to become a master carpenter, well, you've got to put in so and so many hours of work, internships, apprenticeships, there's work that must be done. But what are we becoming here, according to Titus? We might become, oh, heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. How do you become an heir? Someone else dies and you benefit from their death. You know, in, in all of this work of salvation, we do nothing other than receive this free gift from God. Listen to another quote from the the New American Commentary. Uh, Thomas Lee and Hank Griffin say this, People cannot save themselves. Salvation depends solely and completely on God's grace displayed in His mercy Revealed and achieved by his son, Jesus Christ, and applied to humankind by the Holy Spirit. Our massive contribution to salvation is just to receive God's gift for us. About um, 15 years ago, I was traveling to a worship night uh, at the Alliance Church in Chilliwack. I was coming from Yarrow area. For some reason, I was driving down uh Way Road. And uh, as I passed behind, started a secondary, if you know the area, I noticed a, a gentleman sitting in a wheelchair beside a bench at a bus stop. And uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me to, to go talk to this guy. And, you know, being a very devout, obedient Christian, the thing that I did was to keep driving. <laughs> And God just kept like speaking to my heart and I kept driving, turned around uh, or turned left at, what is that, Better Road and uh, he's still like knocking on my heart and so finally I got to Stevenson and was like, okay, drove all the way back, who cares if I'm late, went and had a conversation with this guy. As I, you know, I park and I'm walking up to him, I notice that he's not well-dressed, He's not well-kept, he's got this long beard, and he's chain-smoking while drinking a cup of coffee. And right away as I started making assumptions in my head, like, okay, Lord, you you probably want me to evangelize this guy, right? Lead him to you, you know, maybe he's not gonna accept you in his heart right this minute, but at least I can share the gospel with him. He, He obviously does not know you. That's not how the conversation went, as I just, started talking with this gentleman, uh, I realized this man, despite my assumptions because of his appearance, he had this deep, loving relationship with Christ. He told me how years previous, uh, he had died alone in his apartment. A friend or neighbor of his had found him, called 911, and, and they'd taken him quick in a hurry to the hospital where they had been able to resuscitate him, obviously. Uh in that moment, he had a vision or encounter, as you might want to call it, uh, with Jesus in heaven. Kind of the, the stereotypical was that he found himself in this dark tunnel with this small light off in the distance. As he made his way to it, it, it got brighter and brighter. And then finally he shared, uh, he found himself in the presence of of God, of Jesus in heaven. And uh, you know, I, I want to be careful. It's, it's, you know, it can be encouraging, challenging hearing these stories. Uh, let's put our faith ultimately in the Word of God and not visions like this. But um, I don't have reason to doubt him necessarily. But he just shared of the love of God and, and being in God's presence. He talked about how the thing that stuck out most to him was the sound of heaven and how he just couldn't get over the angels singing he said, I, I want to stay. But God said, no, I've, I've got other plans for you, son. You're, you're going to head back yet. What I took away from that was just the accessibility of salvation. God has done all the work. He's made it so easy. I mean, yes, we're called to live it out, as, as Pastor Eldon's going to touch on next week. But to be saved, as, as Paul would share with us in Romans 10, you know, we need to confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead. In one sense, we don't need to overcomplicate it. As we go from here this morning, I'm leave us with three challenges. Let's abandon all moralistic pride. You know, our righteous works do nothing in the sense of earning us salvation. Let's do them, but do them out of a root of a loving relationship with the Father. Secondly, let's abound in thanksgiving for what God's done for us. He's pulled out all the stops to ensure salvation in this beautiful Trinitarian way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. This is such... An incredible and beautiful thing. Let's praise Him for it. And thirdly, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, don't go a day longer without inviting Him into your life and desiring that loving relationship. This is a far better gift than $100,000 or $200,000 or and an infinite amount of money, of money. This is salvation of your soul for eternity. Let's pray to close. Lord Jesus, thank you for, uh, well, Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for the intimate, intricate, loving way that you have worked that out. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together. God, I pray that um, you'd help us to appreciate what you've done more and more, and that we might grow in our relationship with you as we do so, Father. Help us to, uh, to love you more, to love you more deeply. Uh, and as we do that, God, um, that Jesus, you would shine through us so clearly uh, for a world that's starving, starving for, uh, for true love, uh, to see that in us, to see you in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.